You're listening to Preaching Source, a ministry of Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary's School of Preaching. I'm your host, Professor Barry McCarty. Our guest today on Preaching Source is Drew Erickson. He's the senior pastor of a Villa Road Baptist Church. Uh, That's here on the south side of the Metroplex. Uh, Drew earned his Master of Divinity here at Southwestern, and he's currently in a doctoral program. Uh, Welcome to Preaching Source, Drew. Thank you, Doctor. Appreciate it. Uh, For those of you who may not know Drew and and can't look across the table at the other microphone and see him, uh, he's one of the younger uh, pastors, we we interview old hands here often. Uh, recently, we've had a lot of uh, experienced ministers, guys with fifty or more years. Uh, but Drew is one of those fellows who is just really uh, coming up in a in a fast way. People are noticing uh, Drew and his ministry, and he's uh, got a lot to say. Drew, uh, probably the first thing that you uh, wrote that I had seen that's come to my attention is an article. I love the title, Is There Such a Thing as a Healthy Church Member? Uh, could you talk to us just a little bit about what, what are the traits of a healthy church member? Yeah, so where I serve, uh, there's a there's a lot of opinions on on what church membership is, and uh, what I found from church to church is um, everybody certainly has varying opinions on, on what that is. Um, I think so. In in today's world, uh, there's such a, a lack of clarity on on healthy church membership. Um, for so long, I, I used to believe that uh, church membership was just showing up. It was just being present uh, and uh, sort of sitting in a chair and and maybe nodding when the preacher looks at you and making sure that you, uh, you stay awake. But um, but I think the Bible teaches that there's something a little bit more profound. There's there's certainly a lot more depth uh, when it comes to uh, to being a member, a good member of a church. Um, for me, uh, one of the first things that that I sort of advocate in, in this context is um, you're always looking for people that, that have humility. Um, I think in, in the idea of belonging, uh, in the New Testament, uh, one of the, the most profound metaphors that God uses to talk about church is he talks about it in the context of family. Um, and, and church is family. We're, we've been adopted into God's family, and uh, we, are, uh, we are children, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, and so we, we come into this understanding that church is family. We're committed to each other. Uh, we're committed to, uh, even when we don't dis- agree wholeheartedly with the pastor, uh, and that that's okay. And so we learn to talk through those differences. Um, there's a trait of, of humility that I think pervades. Uh, they have this mindset that, uh, that they're certainly they're there to serve, uh, they're there to help, uh, they're there to make the church better uh, because they're present and, uh, and in the midst of it. Um, so many folks uh, come to church to consume goods, and uh, it's about uh, the preachers sort of tugging on emotional strings at times or, or using illustrations that, that sort of speak to their hearts and their affections, and, and certainly all those things are right and appropriate and good, um, but, but we go there uh, not to be served but to serve. And so, uh, so when it comes to healthy church membership, uh, one, I think uh, there's humility in their life. They, they understand that, um, but I think a, a healthy church member is a result um, of a healthy church, uh, churches that advocate the right things, uh, you know, that speak with, uh, we use the term gospel clarity, uh, that, that, are, that are clear about the gospel and that how that pervades everything that we do in our life and, and how our mission is derived from that. Um, and so there's this balance and there's this ebb and flow between that. And, and you know, you can 
could list the things that uh, are, are required to be a healthy church member, and, and obviously the giving and uh, giving of time and, and money and, uh, and service-oriented things, but, uh, but above and uh, beyond else, uh, we want to advocate a culture uh, in our churches that's driven by the gospel and, and the gospel in its totality, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, and we want to mirror our lives according to, according to those principles. Okay. Now, Drew, you uh, uh, there at Avila Road, you, you have been uh, very intentional and very missional about creating these kinds of healthy church members. Your, uh, your discipleship and evangelism programs there, uh, you, you guys have given a lot of thought to this process of, of creating uh, real disciples and, and healthy church members. But can you talk to us a little bit about how, how do you emphasize that aspect of the ministry from the pulpit? Yeah, so the when I when I first got to Avila five years ago, um, um, really it's no fault of their own, but it, a lot of churches do this. There was a there was a mission statement, uh, there was a purpose statement, there was a vision statement, and I think there were a few other statements uh, that I had to learn as the pastor. And so I began to talk to the leadership, and I would ask them, "Hey, what's our mission? Uh, what's our vision? What is the purpose?" And and what I began to find is is that uh, nobody articulated those things the same way. We weren't talking about the same things whenever we thought we were uh, defining what those things were. And so we went through a really intensive process, uh, really for about eight or nine months, where uh, where we said, okay, what do the scriptures teach? What is our mission? And so our goal was to simplify all five or six of those statements into a very short, memorable statement that um, a kindergartner could understand and that my senior adults would understand. And uh, and so for us, uh, we're uh, some people are a lot uh, more creative than we are. Uh, we just decided we're not going to be cute. Uh, and so we we settled on the fact that we exist, and it's in real big letters in our sanctuary, to love God, love people, and to proclaim the gospel. Uh, and so we want to follow Jesus's command that he's given us. Uh, and what makes us distinct is the gospel. And so um, non-believers can say, we'll love God and love people. And those are general things. But what separates us is our proclamation, our belief of the gospel, and, and trying to teach that. And so the way we uh, sort of codified that is we said, listen, the gospel shapes everything that we do. The gospel shapes the mission of the church. And the mission of the church, which is defined by the gospel, uh, is going to influence the culture of the church. And so our culture is defined by mission, which has been defined by the gospel. And so everything sort of funnels back to that idea. What does the gospel tell us to do? And for us, it's go make disciples. Uh, it's, it's discipleship oriented. It's intensive. Uh, yet there's the same, we try to have the same emphasis on evangelism. I think one of the mistakes I've, that I've heard uh, guys make before in the past, at least according to my opinion, is that they have separated and divorced evangelism from discipleship. And I don't think the Bible does that. I think they go hand in hand. And so uh, to be labeled a discipleship-oriented church uh, or to be labeled uh, just an evangelism-oriented church, and I know that uh, what we mean by that sometimes we're oriented towards other things, um, but I think they're two separate sides of the same coin, and I, and I can't separate the two of those. Um, and so primarily, Primarily, our aim is, is to make disciples. That's what Jesus tells us to do. And so our programs, um, our planning, when we do our strategic planning once a year uh, and look ahead, uh, our staff, we have these posters up on the wall. We have our three categories, love God, people, and proclaim. And for every event they do, they have to categorize you know, where it fits uh, in that planning. And then what always happens every year, it's happened for five years, is we get to the end and uh, we end up, I don't know why this is the case, but we end up gravitating towards loving God and people. 
And, and so the, the tension is always, how do we balance and make our programs and events uh, and, and create a, uh, appropriate environments where we are intentional in leading our people to share Jesus with people? And let's think out of the box and, and, uh, uh, and do things maybe that people haven't done before or that they're doing that works that, that may actually work, uh, work for our people. And so it has to be something that permeates. And um, I try to stay away from the word missional. We use the word mission in, in some of our language, um, but I think that there's a confusion uh, in evangelicalism on what being missional actually is. And so my, my preferred is I say missional because some of my folks understand that word. Uh, and I, I try to use the word incarnational, uh, that we are to embody the, the work and to be the hands and the feet of, of Jesus uh, in what we do. Uh, but all of that flows out of the understanding that we've been sent by God, and God is the one that has put us on mission. And so therefore, we have a mission. And what is that? To make disciples, to reach the lost, uh, and, to, and to edify and to build up the church. And so that's what we try to do anyway. All right. Drew, uh, you have recently preached through the Gospel of John, and I think you're currently preaching through 1 Samuel. What, uh, talk to us a little bit from, from your perspective, what you think the benefits are of continuous exposition through whole books of the Bible. So, I mean, this is obviously my, my, my preferred uh, way of doing these things. And um, I, for me, the, the largest benefit is it goes back to what my aim in preaching actually is. And, and, it, and it's rooted in a theology of preaching and my understanding of, of what that is, that God has spoken. Um, he's not only spoken and given us truth, uh, but the form in which God has delivered that truth is important and it matters. Uh, so for preachers, you know, we'll, we'll use the phrase, it's not just what you say, but it's how you say it, that those two things equally matter. And, and we can't get the two of those out of balance. Uh, sometimes we do, and we, we err on one side or the other. And so because of that, God has spoken, and He's spoken in a certain way. So He's given us that way through genre of Scripture, uh, whether it's poetry and prose or narrative form uh, or deductive or inductive sermons. So we have a responsibility to not just uh, articulate what God has said in the content, but we have a responsibility to articulate in a way that represents the form in which he has. And so if my aim in, in preaching is that uh, the people in my church would walk away after a sermon and, and not say, great job, pastor, that was a good illustration, or you were funny, or that was such a set, you know, you made me cry, or you stirred all these emotions, and it was just, a, I felt inspired. You know, that's not my goal. Um, my goal is ultimately for them to walk away and go, you know, I understand what God said better because of what you said, or, or it reinforced old truths that I, that I had forgotten, that you explained it in a way that, that I see God more clearly, which, which is what you want to hear because that, that, what they're talking about in their own way is that that affects their worship after they leave. And so God, God gave the scriptures to us in genre, and so, um, and there's a reason why he didn't just, you know, it's not all deductive. I mean, there's reasons why stories, you know, have plot twists at the end. And, and so we have that obligation to sort of mirror that form uh, in which God does, because ultimately it helps people understand God's word better. And, uh, and when they understand that, and then they can apply that to their life, uh, we have more devoted and committed and mature disciples of Jesus. And so it permeates everything that we do from our preaching uh, to our counseling, from our children's ministry to student ministry and uh, it overflows in, in every aspect, hopefully. Mm. Drew, uh, you have a, a bit of a unique perspective in that you had a very successful student ministry uh, at Travis Avenue uh, Baptist Church here in Fort Worth before you made the jump to being a senior pastor. Uh, that 
from time to time is a path that a, a lot of young ministers see themselves on. What, what advice and counsel could you give to guys who may be making the jump from uh, student ministry to uh, being a senior pastor? Um, well, my, my, how to answer that, just wrapped in my own po- personal story, um, I never wanted to be a senior pastor. Um, and uh, I, when I graduated from college, uh, I ended up with a finance degree. The Lord called me to ministry. Um, and my wife and I, fiance at the time, we just kind of had the mentality. We knew God had called us to ministry. Um, and our mindset was we were given this advice by, uh, by a friend of ours. He just said, blossom where you're planted. And he said, just try whatever it is that, that you, you feel like God has ta- taken you and led you. Uh, be the very best in whatever that is. Uh, and it just so happened that the doors that the Lord opened for me coming out of college were in student ministry. And so we had committed uh, our life for uh, seven or eight years that we wanted to be the very best student minister that we could possibly be. And we wanted to know what it looked like to be faithful in student ministry. We wanted to hear from the best and, and to know and to learn from them. Um, over time, uh, serving at a couple churches, and when I got to Travis, one of the, the changes that began to take place to where I knew that um, I was beginning to be ready to, to, to move into a different responsibility, uh, we used to meet with our adult leaders every Sunday night. I had about 50 of them, and, and we'd show up, and we'd go over to next week's lesson, we'd laugh, we'd have fun. And, and I remember coming home one night, and, and uh, I told Haley on a Sunday night, I said, man, I, I just I really enjoy being with our adults. Um, didn't mean I didn't enjoy being with the kids, but I began to, and I was still young and, you know, barely shaving and, you know, looked like I was 18 years old and, but was right there in the middle of them and, and, and we loved them and they loved us. And, and I told Hayes, I, I'm enjoying for the first time I could honestly say that I'm enjoying being with people, my parents age, and my grandparents age, uh, you know, I've just enjoyed the fellowship with them. And, and I feel like at some point God may, God may call us out of student ministry. Uh, so in the middle of that, um, I was I decided I wanted to do a, a doctoral, uh, wanted to do a PhD. Didn't really know what I wanted to do uh, totally. I had some good counsel from uh, guys like Dr. Smith, uh, Dr. Pearson, and uh, just talking with them. And, and I thought, you know what, if I'm going to, if God keeps me in student ministry forever, uh, I want to be the very best communicator of God's word that I possibly can be. And I can't imagine that the kingdom of God uh, would be hurt from a, a student pastor that, that had a doctoral degree in preaching, uh, that I, hopefully that God would use that. And so I wanted to know, I wanted to learn how to study and to know and to do that with excellence. And so obviously got immersed in that literature, immersed in that process, and uh, found myself sitting at the table with, with people that were pastoring and uh, began to identify and, and to long for that. Um, but I, wasn't, I was never looking for it. Um, and uh, not to say that people shouldn't look for it. That was just my road. And uh, I got a call and said, hey, I, I sent these guys your, your resume to, to be their pastor. Uh, Dr. Smith, who, who was here at the time, he was the interim at Ovilla. And uh, she said, just want to let you know. And I kind of didn't think anything of it. Uh, just kind of thought, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very content with, with where we are. And we loved the people of Travis. We still love the people of Travis. And, um, and so, so the Lord did that. So my, my advice to them in, in the context of my story is um, immerse yourself in the literature. Um, surround yourself with, with people, with pastors that are, that are doing good, faithful gospel exposition, that are faithful to the Word of God. Um, if, if you're not uh, serving on staff at a church, I'd say, and you want to be a pastor, 
um, you know, go find your pastor and say, can I just, can I help you do research? Can I, can I tag along with you to hospital visits? And, and uh, can I shadow you at funerals? And, and just to see the, the depth of the work and to learn and to watch and to observe and to ask questions. Um, I'd say be curious. Um, you know, I think the pastors that I've served under, uh, I'd, I'd have questions for them all the time. How do you do this? Why do you do it this way? Because I, I, I wanted to know. It wasn't a, a spirit of, of criticism in any way. And so I'd say be curious and, uh, and, and to find faithful men that, that would reciprocate that and to love you and to shepherd you. And, and I'm a beneficiary of, of, uh, of several pastors that just loved me and uh, showed me what it, what it meant to have a pastor's heart, uh, showed me what it meant to, to overcome adversity and, and to stick through uh, even in tough times. And, uh, and because of that, I think uh, the Lord has used those experiences of others to, to help shape me and mold me and prepare me for, uh, for what my wife and I are doing today. So. Drew, we have you on campus today because you're going to be preaching in chapel. Uh, do you have a, a couple of uh, uh, gems that you could uh, drop from your chapel sermon today or, or maybe a key application or two? Um, I'll, I'll, so I'm going to preach out of uh, 1 Thessalonians 2 uh, primarily because uh, there's, there's two sections in the text. I think it speaks to the motivation of the pastor uh, and then the measure of the pastor. And what I mean by that is his character, his sustenance, what makes him who he is. Uh, and primarily, I've chosen that text so it's for selfish reasons because it's it's helped sustain me uh, in the midst of, of pastoral conflict at times. Uh, it's been a, a very encouraging place where I've gone back and and drawn. And so, uh, so I'm going to talk about conflict in, in pastoral ministry and uh, and and how ministry uh, and and conflict and opposition go hand in hand, and uh, how I've wrestled with that personally, and how I've seen others, and how we see Paul uh, in the text, and and then more importantly, Jesus. So, so I guess if you're looking for the gym, I, I don't have the gym. You'll have to stay tuned uh, for, the, for the chapel, and, uh, and hopefully I'll, I'll leave something on the table for people to take home. All right. By the way, for our, our Preaching Source listeners, uh, our chapel sermons are available online uh, here on PreachingSource.com. Uh, you can find uh, links to uh, a selection of recent uh, videos of chapel sermons, but also uh, at uh, swibbets.edu, S-W-B-T-S.edu, uh, you can find links to all of our chapel sermons. So uh, if you've been intrigued by uh, Drew's uh, talking a little bit about his message, uh, by the time you hear this preaching source interview, uh, you'll be able to go online if you want and actually watch his uh, chapel sermon. Our guest this morning has been Drew Erickson, the senior pastor of Avila Road Baptist Church in Avila, Texas. And Drew, thank you so much for being with us and sharing with our listeners on Preaching Source. Thank you, Dr. Appreciate it. 